Pray with me again, if you would, please. Father, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide in our time here of looking into your words, sharing some of the thoughts that you've put on my heart, and even talking a little bit about the future of Victory Christian Church. Lord, that uh, you would use me to speak whatever it is you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I actually start my message, I want to just share a few thoughts about the church. You know, I, we send out emails about praying for the leadership, praying for things that are going on. And as we were uh, in prayer this morning, uh, a few thoughts came to me that I decided I needed to really share with the body. For visitors that may or may not be interested at all, just bear with me and extend some grace. But I'll maybe give you a little picture of who VCC is and where we feel the Lord is leading us. I want to share a few scriptures first. I'm just going to read them kind of quickly. If you want to jot them down, that's fine. None of this is going to be on the screen because I just did all this this morning. But in Matthew 9.35, it starts this way. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord for the harvest, therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. Then I want to read in Luke chapter 10, starting verse 2. Jesus is speaking again and he's saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into the harvest. And then he says this, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And the last scripture I want to share is in John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? The point here is, we believe that Victory Church and Church here has been raised up for a number of reasons, but one of them, and some of these things I'm going to share have been shared prophetically with the church over the years, but to be kind of a lighthouse in this region. Now, that doesn't mean there's other churches that aren't going to be doing a fabulous job and God is using in powerful ways. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we believe, as he spoke to us, that we're going to be a lighthouse and our geographic area is going to expand. And we have people that come from a lot of different communities to the church. We believe God's fulfilling that word as he shared it with us. We believe that God has spoken to us clearly about some things. What I wanted to share in light of those scriptures about the harvest, I, as we were praying in pre-service prayer this morning, um, <clears throat> it's not deep revelation, but it caused me to think of the, what it was like on the farm. When I was farming as a kid with my dad, you know, if we got 80, 90 bushels of corn, that was a good crop. And we had a bin or two to take care of it. Matter of fact, early days, we had it on the, on the, uh, the ear, the whole, whole ear, and put it in the corn crib. But as things have changed, technology's changed, genetics have changed, all those things have changed, it's a different world out there. If they don't get 150 to 200 bushels of corn, they're disappointed, or more. And what do you do? Well, you look at the crop and you say, we've got to figure out where we're going to put all this. And you've got to put some bins up or do something to store the corn. Because if you don't have some place to store it properly, it's going to spoil. It may not rot completely, but it's not going to be what it should be. As a matter of fact, it's, it's actually going to be less than God originally gave you. Because it's going to not be taken care of the way that it should. And one of the things that, um, in these prophetic words spoken over the church, you know, it's interesting, so many things come to my mind, but... 
you know, one of the words was, people are going to ask, what's out there? Why would you go to Ballotin? What's over there, out there? And, you know, we're not exactly a, a, a stop for most tourists, are we? We don't have industry coming out our ears to draw people. Here we are. We are definitely an out there place. But God loves the out there, there places. And God can do amazing things in those out there places if he has a people that are hungry and willing to cooperate with what he wants to do. And it always comes with a cost. You put up bins, you had to either build them and put in a lot of labor or you had to pay a lot of money. It's going to take effort as we see God fulfill these prophetic words. And we've had many prophetic words about seasons of preparation. You know, it's easy to get those prophetic words about seasons of preparation. You think, yeah, all right, that just means nothing's happening right now. Hang in there, something might happen. Well, seasons of preparation are really important. You know, if you don't prepare for the, the harvest, you're caught off guard when it's time to get out in the fields and harvest it. You bring in the crop, you haven't got any place to put it. You don't know what to do with it. All of those things are critical. Now, I'm going to just share some numbers with you. Um, it's been prophesied over the church more than once that we are going to be a church of four or 500 people. And I used to say that with fear and trembling. Now I say it with fear and trembling. <laughs> but with faith. I didn't believe it for a long time. But I can believe it. But you know, it's one thing to believe for it and say, yeah, it's going to happen. God's doing wonderful things. Look around at the new people he's bringing in, the lives that he's changing. There's transformation taking place. It's awesome. And that is awesome. But what do you do with it? You know, we are commanded in those scriptures. You know, Jesus looked around and it, and it says he had compassion on the people because it was like they were harassed and helpless without a shepherd. There's a hurting world out there. Some have never been exposed to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of them don't know that there can be hope and healing and transformation. Some of them have heard the message a long time ago, but because of life choices and circumstances, they've forgotten, walked away. And I believe God wants to use his church to, to restore those people, to draw them in, to use us to influence lives and allow the Holy Spirit to really work. Our job is just to, to do everything we can with what he gives us to make it easier, as if God needs our help, but to do his work. We can help get people in a place. Now when they get saved, he says, make disciples. Make disciples. It's great to see someone get saved and accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Come into the family of God. There, there's, there's nothing greater than that. But you know, that we're not supposed to just rejoice in that and say, thank you, it's glad you're here, wonderful brother, welcome to the family. No, we need to be in a place where we're prepared to make disciples. Build them up, strengthen them. From the littlest kids to the oldest adults. We need to do that. Now if you had a church, you know, I'm going to just share a couple numbers right away here. Our average Sunday attendance, and that's what we go by, really, that's the one that matters, is about 165 to 170. Um, the actual membership, people that are actually members, is over 180. And I've done, I do some subtracting. Cindy's really good at putting these numbers together, and then I subtract some, like the college students or whatever. But 180 members. Then we have non-member attendees of over 105, but 81 of those regularly attend. So you look at 165 regularly attend, 81 regularly attend to the non-members, that's over 245 people. Now, until you look at the numbers, I don't realize how many people there are. So when I used to look at four or 500, I go, wow, I can't even imagine that. Yes, I can. 
I can imagine that now. But look around. What would we do with doubling this audience? See how many kids look off. What do we do when there's way more of them? Now, I never look out in the parking lot this late in the service, but how many of you had to park and walk from the other end? I don't know that anybody's parking in the street yet. There's a lot of things that you need to look at. You know, a church of 400 people, average Sunday attendance, you need to have a sanctuary that holds at least 500 people. Or you have to have multiple services. Both are options. You know, based on the the percentages of our congregation now, just listen to some numbers. And I'm using 400 people instead of 500. My faith is working its way up. But if there was 400 people, that means we'd have 260 adults. Okay? From infants to age 7, we'd have over 60 kids. Infants to age 7. Our nursery's beginning to look smaller, and our children's church is looking smaller, just thinking about that. We would have another 40 kids, 8 years old to 14 years old, and young adults, we'd have 40 age 15 to 20. It takes a lot of classrooms. It takes a lot of teachers. It takes good curriculum, good programs, good planning. It takes a lot of stuff if that would happen. How many of you were at the fellowship dinner last week and came up to me and said, do you think we need more room? <laughs> well, we can move the wall and move some chairs and we can get some more room, but can you imagine a fellowship hall? Can you imagine... You know, those of you that go back to the old days in our old church where we had one bathroom for men, one bathroom for women, and one stall in each one. Those poor women lined up, you could have sold uh, concessions. We would need 15 to 18 stalls in a bathroom. Our foyer would be way too small. The parking would have to at least double. And I'm just saying all these so that we can start thinking in our minds. You know, it's exciting to think that God is growing his church. And is it about the numbers? You know, I used to be one of those guys who says, who cares how many people come? Bless God, let's just take care of who comes. You know, I've changed my mind. Numbers are a big deal. Because every single number represents a life that has been saved and is being transformed by the power of God. That's why we care about the numbers. So the numbers matter. They really matter because they're lives, not numbers. If, it, if our heart was just about, can we be a big church? I don't want to be a big church. It goes against my nature. One of, the, one of the questions I asked my elders was, do you think I have the ability to transform myself to lead a big church? Because I, I don't want to. It's not the way I'm wired I'm relational. I like to know everybody. It bugs me when a little kid comes up and gives me, wants to give me a hug and I can't remember their name. I'm supposed to know their names. That's how I'm wired. And as it gets bigger, I know fewer and fewer people by name. Some people, I go up and introduce myself and they say, oh, we've been here for two months. Sorry. I don't like any of that. But I believe God is, is really telling us, lay the groundwork. Prepare for what's coming. You know, on any given Sunday, we really only have about 65% of our regular attendees here. You realize that? 65%. So if there's 170 people here, it's roughly 65% of our regular attendees. And when I say that, these would be people, if they're here, you wouldn't be the least bit surprised because they're supposed to be here. These are the people that most of us would probably think they're members. A lot of them aren't for whatever reason, but they're that regular. What if we all started coming? Well, praise God, that'd be a good thing. But we'd have that wall almost back to the kitchen. That's okay. That's why we got a movable wall. That's why there's wheels on that thing. But it brings all kinds of new challenges. 
And we truly believe, we, we, one night at an elders meeting, I, I came with three questions. The third one was, do you think I can do this? And when I say I, I hope you don't hear pride there because it scares me to death because it's the leaders. But it's just not who I am. And I know there's some people out here who already don't like how we've gotten bigger because it's changed. You don't get as much time or attention or whatever as you used to like. I know that because you've told me that. And please get over that. (laughs) And I understand it, though. I get it. It's just not about big. It's about souls. It's about lives. It's about making disciples. But the questions we started with when I asked the elders was, do you believe the Lord intends for us to be a church of four or 500 people? We have to answer that question. And the answer was yes, either that or we've got to change our philosophy and theology on prophetic words. Because it's been prophesied many times. One crazy guy said a thousand. I'm not quite there yet, but who knows? Then the second question was this. Do we want to be that kind of church? Do we want to be a church of four or 500 people? Well, if you answered yes to the first question, you're kind of trapped. You say, no, we know God wants to do it, but we're not going to. So obviously the second answer was yes too. And as you do this, as you see God bringing in people and as you see things changing and evolving, being transformed, uh, the church will look different. But there's three, three things that you run into almost simultaneously. And that's why I really wanted, I felt an urgency to start sharing this a little bit more with the congregation for just a a few minutes. Because what happens, and three challenges you run into are this, facilities. I mean, we've only been in this church, help me, seven years? Seven years. Facilities. I, I don't like in the natural thinking about doing anything with the building ever again. But we probably will. No, let me phrase that. We we will. Catching on, Brian. We will. (laughs) Facilities, programs. Now, I'm not talking about programs to entertain anybody or programs for this, that, and the other. I'm talking about programs to make sure that we are making disciples of every age that's in this church. That's what I'm concerned about. There needs to be some structure. There needs to be programs. There need to be systems. There need to be processes in place. So from that nursery, through the oldest Sunday school, through adult Sunday school, through here, through our life groups, discipleship is taking place. And it just doesn't happen by accident. You know, we've been making steps along the way. And it's, it's, golly, it's not what it used to be. Praise God. But you can see you need systems, programs, facilities. And the third thing you need is staff. Staff. You know, if you read all the books, we're already behind in that area, in staff. Because you can't do everything. Cindy Barnes does almost everything, but she can't do it all. So there's going to be staff issues that ought to take place. So when you look at that, facilities, programs, systems, staff, all of that stuff, you can see it's going to need a few things. Prayer. That's why you've been getting my emails asking for prayer for the leadership as we really seek God for what can we be doing, preparing. You know, we don't want to just send laborers out there amongst the wolves into the, to the harvest without any training. And we've got to realize the wolves are out there trying to take the sheep from the youngest on up. So we need to be preparing the people. We need to be doing it. So prayer is huge. We need to, you know, I hope you see, we need people. We need volunteers, we need, we need ministry in here, it's body ministry, but we're, we're going to need 
staff. And planning. Planning. Most of us, and I don't say this to besmirch anybody, anything, but most of us in here have no idea how things happen. You're just glad they do when you get here on a Sunday morning. You know, that chairs seem to get moved around, tables seem to get set up. Thank goodness there's toilet paper on the roll when you need it. Stuff just happens. Nope, it doesn't just happen. All of this stuff takes work, takes planning, takes people. The, the classes, the curriculum, the, it, I could just go on and on. You get the picture. Takes people, planning, and finances. You know, it's interesting that, that God has blessed this church financially. I mean, this church is paid for. The building's paid for. There's no mortgage. We have no debt. We have money in the bank. We have money in the bank towards a building fund. We have money in the bank as a savings account for emergencies that arise. God has blessed us. But yet, to continue to do the work of the kingdom, it's, it's just a reality. Money is a major tool. It takes money to do things. You can see it takes money to put on staff. It takes money to build buildings. It takes money to buy curriculum. It takes money to put together a vacation Bible school. All of that stuff takes money. And we believe, just as we believed when, when God put on our hearts to build a building, that the money is in this facility already. It's sitting in here. It just needs to be released as needed, as, the heart, as your hearts are really touched by God in whatever area. So I don't want to beat on that, but it, it, those things are necessary. And we are taking steps as leadership. We are looking out there in these areas. We are looking out there in these areas of staff, planning, curriculum. We are looking, beginning to look at buildings. I mean, who would have thought of a parking lot? Because what will happen, the, the elders, I asked them, do you believe that this church could have 400 people coming to it in two years or less? And it was unanimous. The answer was yes. Then after I'd set them up, I said, really? I don't. They may come, but they won't stay. If we do not have the processes and the systems and the people in place to disciple them the way that we need to. It will be a revolving door. And I say that, and again, do what you want with all the literature and information that's out there, but the, the data is un, it's just clear. We are at a critical juncture, according to all the research done on church growth, growth. Do you realize we're already bigger than way more than half the churches in America? Already. We get our eyes on these mega churches that are out there and think, gee, we're nothing. Most of the churches in America are less than 100 people. And they never grow over that. And we are in a range from that 175 to 225 in average Sunday attendance that is a real time of transformation. It's going to take major change in the leadership, the way we function, the staff, facilities, programs, and processes, or we'll never go through that. And there was a time I'd have said, who cares? Let's just take care of what God's brought us. But what if he wants to bring more? Are we going to be in a place to do that? So we really do covet your prayers. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to move forward in some of these areas, and, and you know, we're not trying to get the cart in front of the horse here at all, but some of these things need to be addressed sooner rather than later. So please be in prayer for all of that. Okay, that was my commercial. No, it's way too important to call it a commercial. It's critical for the life of the church. I'm going to spend a few minutes speaking about what I thought I was going to share right off the bat, and that's about the ascension of Jesus. 
You know, it's interesting when we talk about Christ on life, we talk about his incarnation, we talk about Christmas, we talk about him being born of a Virgin Mary, God in the flesh, we talk about that a lot, right? Man, it's, an, it's a big deal. God came in the flesh. And we talk an awful lot about the resurrection and the crucifixion. Man, with the crucifixion, somebody had to die for our sins. It's a big deal. We celebrate Easter, Good Friday. We talk about it. And, and everybody understands without the, the crucifixion, there would have been no forgiveness of sin. Without the resurrection, none of what took place before would have mattered. But it's interesting how little we talk about the ascension. And the ascension is a big deal. You know, Jesus ascended to heaven 40 days after he was raised from the dead. So today we're going to look a little bit about the ascension. And I'm going to, again, read some scriptures. Um, they're not on the screen, I don't believe. I can't remember what I did now. I'm so flustered. John 16. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, and I'm leaving the world again, and I'm going to the Father. Jesus is telling the disciples in the 16th chapter of John. And then I'm going to read Acts 1, the first 12 verses that I led, read last week. Luke is writing, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's interesting, he said, began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remote parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Okay, I'm going to read in Luke 24:50. And he led them out, Jesus, as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he departed from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. And the last one I want to read is in Mark 16. So then when the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. I want to read all of those because we get, if you look in all of those different areas, you only get two, three verses actually about the ascension. There's references to it in other parts of the epistles. But, and in the Gospels, but where it's actually talked about, you just get a little bit. But you pick up some tidbits. It was 40 days after the resurrection. 
40 days, and we talked about that a lot last week, that he appeared and he taught and gave evidence of his resurrection, gave teaching on the, the kingdom of God. And it says it took place out on the mount called Olivet, outside of Jerusalem, near Bethany. Actually, probably the region of Bethany. It says it was a Sabbath day's journey. Now, a Sabbath day's journey was according to the laws that the, the religious leaders had developed. You could supposedly travel 2,000 paces on the Sabbath day, or a little less than a mile. So it was outside of Jerusalem, towards Bethany. If you remember, Bethany was where he entered in the week before his crucifixion, Palm Sunday, where the crowds were cheering. Bethany was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So it's out in that region of Bethany, reasonably close. And it tells us it was witnessed by the apostles. We don't know for sure whether there was other people there or not, but we know the apostles were there. And we know that Jesus talked with them, and then he lifted up his hands to bless them, and then he defied all the laws of gravity, and he just started going up into the air. And we know that as he was rising up into the air, a cloud came and blocked their view. And that was the last they saw of Jesus in the flesh. And then the angels, it says, these two men dressed in white were standing beside them. And you can about imagine, sort of, what it must have been like watching Jesus talking to you. He raises his hands to bless you like the benediction. And all of a sudden, he just starts going up, defying natural laws. It's not a big deal if you're the one that created the natural laws. You can defy them easily. But he floats away, and a cloud comes and covers him up, and he's gone. You can imagine their attention would have been there, and all of a sudden there's two guys standing here, and they say, what are you guys looking up in the clouds? Uh, I almost want to add, go get to work. He's, he's now gone. Get to Jerusalem and wait for what's coming so that you can follow the commission that he has given you. So the ascension of Jesus is obviously a manifestation of the power of God. And it was necessary, absolutely necessary, to complete Christ's death and resurrection with the ascension. It gave further proof and further evidence that the sacrifice that Jesus had made once and for all time was accepted by the Father. He's returning to the glory that he had before he came to earth as a child. You know, and most of the time when I look in the scripture, I'm always trying to say, how is this significant to me? How does this apply to my life? For just a second, I wanted to just imagine in my mind how significant was the ascension to Jesus? Can you imagine having been Jesus and set aside the glory that you had in heaven? It says he humbled himself. And set aside all of that and he, and he walked on the earth as a human being. And he walked to the cross, was crucified and buried and died and raised again. That was cool, but he's still on earth. He's still ministering. He's still with his disciples. And I'm sure he, I'm sure he loved every minute of it. But can you imagine at that moment, I am going back to the presence of the Father. I am ascending to the throne. The glory that I left behind is going to be restored. I can't hardly imagine the welcoming committee there must have been in heaven. And he has given that position of authority, it says, over all the angels, over all creation, in heaven and on earth. And he's restored to that place. I'm pretty much sure that it was a big deal for Jesus. 
In Philippians 2.9, it says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The ascension marks that time where he's not just the Son of God. He is now Jesus Christ the Lord. His return to the Father, to the glory that he'd left behind. So I believe it's really significant to Jesus, but it's also obviously very significant to each one of us. And that's what I want to really look at. You know, the ascension for us gives us an introduction into Christ's life in heaven. And believe it or not, it has a huge impact on our life here still on earth. Just because he's not here doesn't mean he's sitting in the throne twiddling his thumbs. He's working. He's ministering. And it affects us. In John 14, 9, it says, Because I live, you live also. Jesus is saying that. Because I live, you live also. Man, we can go by that and say, Yeah, we've heard that a million times, Mike. Think about it. We are the only religion on the planet that serves a living God. Because he lives, we live. He lives, we live. Because he's alive, everything else he says is true. It gives new meaning. It should give new meaning to our lives. And when we think of that, that all the promises of God, all the guarantees of God, they are ours because he lives, we too shall live. And we too live. So I'm going to go through kind of quickly um, six things that are very significant for us that involve Christ and his resurrection. And the first one is this. The redemption was accomplished. Now we understand that, I guess, I hope. You know, there were two things, really, that had to be accomplished for men to get to heaven, for me and you to get to heaven. Sin had to be dealt with. Sin had to be taken care of. It had to be removed. It tells us in Scripture that when Jesus died on the cross, our sins are forgiven, and we repent, and He forgives us, He removes us as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. They're removed. That's the first part. And then the second thing is, there has to be the presence of righteousness. For me to get into heaven, righteousness. Guess what? In my own strength, in my own flesh, I am not righteous. But in Christ, I am righteous. We have been clothed in the cloak of righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when he was ascended and we were redeemed, both, things, both issues were taken care of. Sin was removed and righteousness was imparted to us through Christ. Without it, we'd never get into heaven. The second thing, his priesthood was established. His highly heavenly priesthood. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he really entered into his work as our great high priest. Up till that point, he was the sacrifice and the priest. Now he is our high priest. He's the royal priest, seated on the throne. And when we look at this, we, you know, again, we understand, I think, but there's no more sacrifices. His being on the throne is evidence that there's no more sacrifices necessary. Ever. He was the only sacrifice, the final sacrifice. 
And he now sits on that throne on our behalf. You know, representing my cause before Father God as the great high priest. You know, because of that, we can go into the presence, enter the presence of our Heavenly Father anytime we want because he is the great high priest. We don't have to go through anybody else. We don't have to go through any silly sacrifices or any religious rigmarole. We can go to the Father because Jesus is our high priest. Third, I want to talk just briefly about the lordship of Jesus. As I said earlier, when he ascended in heaven, he, he, he is beginning that work as the king, the king of kings, lord of lords. He is the Lord. We are his people. We are his subjects. And he's seated at the right hand of God in that position of authority and position of power. He is the Lord of our life. He is the Lord of the church, his church. You know, he is the head of the church. He's the king. We're just his body. He's the guy. All because he ascended and took that position of authority. Fourth, his intercession. Now, I hope most of you know this, but it, it, to me, this is one of the most, most reassuring things I can think of. Once we be got, get beyond the death and resurrection of Jesus, to know that he is the mediator between God and man. He's our advocate. You know, if you guys get in trouble or if I get in trouble, we've got to go to before the judge in the court and we're sitting there with 12 of our peers staring at us. I want to have a doggone good attorney representing me. Man, you'll spend a fortune on getting that good attorney to represent you, to fight your case for you, to present your cause, to try to prove your innocence. Well, we have Jesus Christ, God's Son, our risen Lord and Savior, as my advocate. He is my attorney. The enemy can bring accusation upon accusation upon accusation against me. And Jesus just looks at his father and says, Dad, it's covered by the blood. It's covered by the blood. We, we get this idea that these things in our lives are so evil and so ugly. Man, I hope Satan didn't catch that because if he goes to God, I'm, I'm a Job in a hurry. Way worse. No, we have our advocate, Jesus Christ. In 1 John 2, it says, If anyone sins, anybody here sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In Hebrews 7, 24, it says, But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for his children. 24 7, 365 for eternity. He's making intercession for you and me. Man, amazing. He's praying for me, He's defending me to the Father. When I mess up and I go to Him, it's covered as soon as I repent by the blood of Jesus. It's awesome. Awesome. So intercession, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit, number five. Now we could read a lot of scriptures in the scripture about the Holy Spirit. In John 16, he's talking about, you know, this is when he's talking to his disciples, says, hey, 
for you when I leave, it's going to be a really good thing. It's a good thing that I'm going. And his disciples are probably going, you've got to be kidding. And he says, because if I go, I'll go to the Father and the promise of the Holy Spirit, and I will give the Holy Spirit to you. The Comforter will come. In Acts 2, verse 33, it says, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and have received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that which you see and hear. Specifically there, he's talking about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. In Ephesians 4, it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And in Ephesians 4.11, he says, and I gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to measure the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. The ascension of Christ was the outpouring, made the outpouring of the Holy Spirit possible, and the numerous gifts of the Spirit that we talk about became available because of that. The blessing that they are to the church, the gifts of the Spirit. And because the Spirit was given and is on earth and active, sinners are being convinced of their sin. They're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. And believers are being edified by the Holy Spirit. All of this is a result of Jesus saying, you know, when I ascend, it's going to be better. When I'm gone, it'll be better because the Holy Spirit will come given to us as a gift from Him. The sixth thing I want to mention deals with our eternal place in heaven. Hopefully everybody gets a real peace in their soul when they think about things in terms of eternity. Our place in heaven. In John 14, Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. For 2,000 plus years, he's been up there preparing a place for each one of us. A place in heaven. And reality is this, we are already set with the Lord Jesus Christ in heavenly places. Now, we say that, I say that a lot. I am a child of God and I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. Boy, they're powerful truths when you get them in here and get them in your heart. But if we're not careful, they can be just become religious words. Just think of that reality. The reality is, that I am seated in heavenly places. In Ephesians 2, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All past tense. We have been seated with Christ in heavenly places, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. We have seated, we are seated with him in that position of authority, that position of power. We are already positionally there. Which makes the verse in Philippians 
So true. In Philippians 3, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with his body of glory by the exertion of power that he is even subject to all things to himself. When you look at those verses, I hope it sort of starts to come together as a picture for you that, you know, we, we, we're, just, we're just travelers here in this life. We're just visitors. We are citizens of heaven because Jesus Christ descended. You know, if we identify with his resurrection, his death, we identify with his ascension. He has ascended on high to see at the right hand of the Father. And it says, we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Boy, it should change our outlook on the world around us. It should change our outlook on the circumstances we're living in. I know we have to go through it. I know it can wear us out. I know it can be really, really hard. But if we can start to get this in us, that you know what? This is going to be such a brief time in the face of eternity. And I truly am a citizen of the heaven. I'm a child of the king, seated in heavenly places with him. It should do something in our spirit that allows that peace and joy and hope of the Holy Spirit to rise up, faith to rise up, to know that that God in Christ, Christ is alive. Because he lives, we can live. And that he is going to one day transform this body into a body of glory like his. Now, if your body's still in good shape, that may not really get you going. But boy, when you get a little older, it's like, amen. Get rid of this shell I'm trapped in that's fallen apart and wore out. Get a new one, whatever it's going to be like. And it's here because we have the evidence and proof and the promise of God through the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. God's working, Christ is working. Jesus is working. He's ascended. He left earth, but he's still working. He rules over and he protects his church. Isn't that good news? Boy, he rules over and protects his church. And he helps the members of his church. He cares about the body of Christ. He cares about us, every single one of us. He governs the universe. I like this thought. He governs and controls all things in the universe so that his plans and purposes will be coming, come to fulfillment. I need to remind myself of that often. The world we live in is nothing but chaos and getting worse every day. And it's easy to get this attitude of being so negative, almost hopeless, afraid, fearful. And then we remind ourselves, you know what? God is on the throne. None of it surprises him. His plans and purposes are going to be carried out perfectly. And when the day arrives, there's going to be a trumpet sound and he's coming back for his church. And nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. That doesn't mean we quit praying. We don't, we don't quit, do, we quit doing the things that we need to do to try to improve, improve this world. Be good stewards of the gifts God's given us. But the reality is, he's in control. Total control. And he's continually interceding. He's busy. He's got a big job description. Controlling the universe. What do you do for a living? I control the universe. And everybody and everything in it. 
So my plan comes out perfect at the end. And he's waiting. He's doing all of that and waiting. Now, I, I don't pretend to have the mind of Christ on this. And I know when and it, he told the disciples, only the Father knows. So I'm going to just stick with that. Only the Father knows the time, right? That's what the Bible says. So can you imagine I'm Jesus sitting on the throne, the Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, and I'm doing all this other stuff, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for when the Father says, Son, it's time. You're going back to get your bride, to get your church. Amazing thought. So though his work is finished on earth, he's still working. You know, a thought I've jumped past that just came to my mind here was, you know, when he left, in a sense, it's like he removed himself, and we can have this idea that Jesus became more remote to us. Just the opposite is true, right? When he left, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus moved in and became more accessible to every one of us. Powerful Powerful thoughts. And though he's gone for a while, he said in his scripture, Lo, I am with you always till the ends of the earth. He's alive. Christ is alive. Christ is alive. We know that. We say that. I hope we think that. But boy, just think. No other religion has a God that's alive. Ours is alive. The one we worship is alive. Cares about us and loves us. And we can have fellowship with him anytime we want. Access to him. And he releases grace daily. He says, Your grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Every day we have sufficient grace no matter what it is we're going through. The reality is we can rejoice over in the victory over sin and death, all sorrow. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I, I pray that you take what I shared so quickly and, and just deposit it in our spirit that we would see the great news in the ascension of Jesus Christ. The wonderful benefits given to us through that. God, that we would find faith and assurance in knowing that we have an advocate before your throne. That Jesus is our defense. God, I pray for each one of us here that the reality of all of these things in the spiritual take root in our hearts and grow. God, that it falls on good ground, good soil, and can begin to bear more and more fruit in our lives. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the honor in this. In Jesus' name.